Yeah, Father God, as we go into your word now, Lord, we really pray that, um, that your living word will speak to us, Lord, and we know that your, your word is so incredible, Lord, that it, it goes beyond human reasoning, Lord, that your, your word that to the man and to the layman just looks like a book is the living word, and it can speak to and minister to each of us individually, and we pray for that now, Lord, that as we delve into your scriptures, that you will tug on our hearts, Lord, what you want for each one of us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Right, morning, everybody. Lovely to be back. And the word we had outside was, was family, and it just, you know, it's always great being back here, and you guys welcome us like family, and we are family. So it's just wonderful to see all the smiling faces when we come here. So how do the new chairs feel? Feels good. For those that don't know, this is their first time with their new chairs, so it's feeling comfortable. I'll check in with you an hour again to see if they still feel comfortable. Okay. All right. Right. So he is considered one of the most influential people in the history of the world. He had a very clear mission on earth. The New Testament documents most of his ministry. He carried out his mission with incredible humility. Have you got someone in mind? I'll differentiate. You might be thinking of two people. He wrote most of the books in the New Testament. Okay, so it's not Jesus, it's Paul. So we're going to talk a bit about Paul this morning, or what God laid on my heart even before uh, Richard asked me to come and preach here, was just the journeys of Paul's. Um, and if we can put that map up now, thanks, Mike. You know, I, I love maps, and I've got one of these study Bibles here that's got all these maps at the back. And, you know, the journeys of Paul are interesting, and they've intrigued a lot of people over the years, and people have documented, like, his itinerary and put up, made different versions of the map to try and understand his, his journey. So Paul journeyed across a lot of the Mediterranean, as you can see. Um, if you're a little bit lost, that's, you can see Italy in the top left corner and uh, Greece there in the middle. Uh, thank you, yeah. You can see Athens there in Corinth. You know, so that's, that's where we are. We're talking about the Mediterranean. So Paul traveled extensively across the Mediterranean because he had a specific mission to take um, the gospel to, to the people. And this is documented largely in the book of Acts, which we know is written by Luke, the doctor, so very detailed. So Luke says, I'm going to give an accurate account. And he gives a lot of detail in the book of Acts. He also wrote the book of Luke. And he gives a lot of detail around um, what the apostles did. And rather extensively the, the journeys as well. And then a lot of the, the books of the New Testament that follow. Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. A lot of those, um, well all of those, plus a few others are written by Paul. And he's writing to those people. So... It's important that we, that we connect that and realize that what we're reading out of the Word of God is Paul writing to these people that he had as family, that he had as church brothers and sisters, people that he'd connected with, and he spent a lot of time with these people. He spent 14 years doing this, so he didn't just pop in for the weekend, set up a big white tent with a keyboard and pamphlets, and then he's off to the next place. You know, he actually he lived with these people, he stayed with them, he planted church with them, and he built relationship with them. So we're going to delve a little bit into um, some of the learnings or the values that we get out of his journeys. So that's really what God laid on my heart, is that we, we can look at his journeys and we can look at the letters, but what are we getting out of it for ourselves? We always need to say, well, what is relevant for me today? 
And is this relevant that he planted and he wrote to these people 2,000 years ago? What is relevant for us today? So I'm calling today, Don't Waste a Journey, is if you want to put a title to the preach. And we're going to be going into two passages. I mean, there's so much of the New Testament, so we could be here for a year working through it. But I'm just going to, I've picked out two passages, and out of each of those, I just want to highlight five values that we get from Paul in terms of what did he try and accomplish in his journeys, and how is it relevant to us. So maybe some of you are new in the faith, you don't know who Paul is. So let's just do a quick biography. His parents were Pharisees, which means they followed the law of Moses very strictly to the letter of the law. So he would have been um, raised in a household that was very anti-Gentiles and Greeks. And, you know, don't let them come and contaminate us, very much following the letter of the law. From age 13, he studied under a rabbi. You remember his name? Gamaliel. Yeah, so from age 13... They put him under instruction, and he was very much, his career path, let's say, would have been, because then he became a lawyer, and his career path would have been to join the Sanhedrin, which um, is basically like the Jewish Supreme Court, 71 men, and that's kind of where his path was going. So this, and he was very zealous in what he did. So we can see why God picked him for this mission, because he was an extremely zealous guy. He was, you know, he would give it all, and he even decided not to get married so that he could really just be free of wife and kids, and just really do the mission. And um, he said that's not for everybody, but uh, that was his calling was really to, and because he was so zealous, he became um, a religious extremist, right? So he be, And what did he start doing? He started killing these Christians. He was so extreme that he started killing Christians, and that's the first time we actually see him referenced in the Bible when his name was still Saul, was he was there when Stephen the first martyr in the Bible. Stephen was a deacon, and these guys stoned Stephen to death, and Saul was a young man. He was busy holding their robes, and he was approving of this. So he was quite an extremist, and then God called him out of that on the road to Damascus. Sorry, it's a very fast-forward biography, this. So he was walking on the road to Damascus, and God blinded him, and, and then God spoke separately to a man called Ananias and said, Ananias, you must go to this specific street, to this specific house, and you find a man called Saul from Tarsus, and you go lay hands on him, and, he's, and you will restore his sight. And how do you think Ananias responded? He's like, uh, God, I've heard of this guy. Are you sure this, you know, you sure this is the right thing? So it doesn't really, it's not clear that Ananias questioned him, but Ananias did highlight, but he didn't say but. He said, God, this man has been persecuting. And God responds, if you can put up Acts uh, 59... Sorry, on 9.15, Acts 9.15. But, so the, the Lord is saying, the Lord says but, because Ananias is saying, this guy's been killing Christians. But the Lord says to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. So that was a very specific mission that God gave to Paul. We've all got the mission. You know, we all, if you look at Matthew 28.19, says, go out and proclaim the name. You know, so we've all got that instruction to go out and make disciples. But uh, Paul had a very specific mission to bring it to the Gentiles. And he was this Jew who was much, very much against the Gentiles in his, in his youth. Um, but you can see how seriously he took it, and he went all around the Mediterranean um, preaching the gospel and planting churches. 
Okay, so let's get into our first text, which is Acts 9, sorry, Acts 15. Acts 15, 1 to 5. Sorry, I keep saying the wrong number. Sorry, Mike. Acts 18, 1 to 5. We'll get there. Right. Okay, so I'm gonna, it's only five scriptures, and we're going to take five values out of here. So it says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So, that's, so the first thing is he kept, so the first value, if you are taking notes, is he widened his field. So it says that he went from Athens to Corinth. And if, if I can make things difficult for you, if you can bring up the map again. And if you go to Greece there in the middle, there where the yellow and blue lines are, there we go, just a bit left. You'll see Athens, and there's Corinth. So it says he went from Athens to Corinth. But you can see how he widened his field, because there's a little key here, and it says, so the first mission was the pink one. So you can see he didn't go far from Jerusalem originally, and then his second mission is the blue one, which is a bit wider, and then the yellow one, we a little bit wider, and a lot of reinforcement of where he'd been, and then the green one, he went even wider. So that's our first value, is are we widening our mission field? And not all of us are going to be missionaries where we go into Zambia and Ethiopia, but we've each got a mission field. So are you widening your mission field? Or you say, well, I've got my neighbor saved, so I'm done. But are you, you know, are you, have you got a mission field at work? Have you got one wherever, whatever sport you do? Um, at the supermarkets you go to, at the beach, you guys have got such a beautiful beach here. Are you reaching out to people that God lays on your heart at the beach? Are you looking for those divine appointments, those opportunities to bring the, world, the word? So we've got to widen our mission field and be looking for opportunities, just as he did. You can see he kept widening as he went across the Mediterranean. Um, so have you guys, um, with, with your communities, have you ever done like a swapping of communities? Where, you, where Sean says, okay, now it's open season. You can go anywhere you want. And how does that feel? Anyone? Okay, hands up who likes it. Hands up who doesn't like it. Oh, jeez. Hands up who's in community. <laughs> uh, so, so we originally from Edgemead. We were 10 years in Edgemead AM before we joined Somerset West. And we did, the, we were com leaders at the time, and we did this, like a walk across the room, I think they called it, eh? Not a walk across the room, but a, re, a, like a shuffling, like a shuffling of communities. And um, so obviously we know a lot of families well, and this one family, which we know now, we know well now, we've got this joke with them, because they pulled up at our house, and they looked at our, our area, and they looked at the other people coming in, and he was just going to do a U-turn in our cul-de-sac and leave. But I had actually stepped out and I was in the driveway and I was doing this. <laughs> so he was forced to come in, but he was going to leave and go look for a different community. And um, he came in and they were just in our community for many years. And I mean, one of their, their sons is now, um, he almost went full time in Josh Jen as well. So they, they're really a family that has stuck with Josh Jen and they stuck with our community for a long time. But the point of this is, Widening your mission field can also mean crossing different, dealing with people that are different from you. So different cultures, maybe different languages, different race groups, different economic situations. So are we widening our mission field beyond people that just 
look or sound like us or behave like us. And that was the thing with, with this guy. He looked and he thought, no, too different to this guy or the guys that are coming here. I'm going to turn around and, and leave. But he stuck. And we're great mates now. We're family now. And, and we see it within the church here. We see the, different, the diversity that we've got in the church. So are we doing that in our mission field? Are we being diverse enough in our mission field as well? Does that make sense? Okay. Right, verse 2. If we can go back. There he met a Jew named Aquila, who's a guy, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy, and his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them. Okay, so that's the second value, is we invest in people. So Paul didn't, as I say, set up the big tent and say, put up a big sign and say, come, we're here, come and hear the word. He actually went out and he looked for people and he invested in people. So are we doing that as well? Are we making an effort to actually get into people's homes, to get into people's lives? And for me, that's almost literal and figurative as well, because he literally went to them. But figuratively, we also step into where people are at. So people all come from different backgrounds, different circumstances, different hurts, different abuse. And sometimes we have to meet them where they're at. We can't expect them to just come in and uh, behave like we do and, and jump around in the frontier. We've got to actually realize that may, they are broken, perhaps, and they're not used to what we've got here. So we've got to meet pe people where they're at and then disciple them and bring them to a point of salvation and not just put up the banner and say, come to us. We are in the people business. We're not in the building and the music business, although it helps a lot. But we are in the people business. Right, verse 3. And because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So the tent maker was specifically in Corinth, and it was specifically to adapt to the people. So are we adaptable? That's the next value for Paul. He was very adaptable. So Andrew spoke beautifully on this with the This Is Church. If you listen to the This Is Church series and you listen to his teaching on finances, he spoke about the tent maker because uh, people often say, but why should the full-time guys get paid? I'm not full-time, by the way. But why should the full-time guys get paid? Um, Paul was a tent maker, but he was specifically in that context. And that's why, again, it's useful for us to understand the areas he was going to the context that he was going to, the culture of the people. Because what was happening is in Corinth is you had these Greek orators who would stand on the street corner and they would speak beautifully and they would get paid for it. And that was then filtering into the church. So you had people making money out of preaching the gospel by coming into the church and speaking eloquently. So he didn't want to be seen as one of those. So he specifically said, don't pay me when I'm here. I will work as a tent maker while I'm here. So he adapted to the situation. So again, how is that relevant to us? You know, we also don't want to be chameleons. So we don't want to be somebody that's different in different circumstances. And when we taught uh, the youth, we always said to them, a real test is can you have all your friends at one party? Can you have your school friends and your church friends and your, your sports friends all at one party or will they clash? Are you a different person in different circumstances? So I'm not saying that. I'm not saying let's be different in the different circumstances, but let's adapt. So you might have to adapt your speech, or sometimes, like if you're going to certain African countries, it might be your behavior or your dress, um, or certain things that you must be careful about not saying. So it's adapting to the different cultures of the people that you're dealing with. 
And Paul, we see, was very adaptable. Then verse 4 to 5. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. So we see in both those verses, he was very clear what his mission was. So that's the fourth value, is having a clear mission. So do we have a, a clear mission as well? Paul knew that his mission was to go and preach the gospel. It wasn't to um, get a whole lot of numbers or get a whole lot of buildings up. He specifically was getting people to understand the gospel, bringing people to Christ. That was his mission. So do we have a mission when we go out? Now, if we say, well, we want to go out and evangelize, now, do we go out with a very specific mission of what we want to do? Or do we fall over ourselves when somebody actually says, yes, you can pray with me? You know? So when we go out, we must make sure that we have a clear mission. So I said, are we trying to get people into our building or are we trying to get people into the kingdom? You know? So us as churches as well, are we just trying to get numbers here on a Sunday or are we really trying to get people into the kingdom? That must be our mission. The building and the music and all that is fantastic and the sound system and it all helps us, but our focus has to be on the people and getting the people saved. Charles Spurgeon says, talking about Paul, the apostle was ready to go anywhere with the gospel, but he was not ready to preach another gospel. No one could make him ready to do that. He was not ready to hide the gospel. He was not ready to tone it down. He was not ready to abridge it or to extend it. Okay, so Paul, and Paul says that a few times, I mean, if you read all the letters, he never wants to alter the gospel. And we also, something that we say as well is you don't have to dress up the gospel. The gospel, we try and make it sound more fancy than it is. The gospel is very simple and we preach the gospel and let the Holy Spirit and let the word do the work. We don't have to pretty it up or, or make it more than it is. The, yeah, there's power in the gospel, exactly. Okay, and then also in verse 5, it says, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. So that's key as well, is he grew leaders, another value. Because by them coming along, they probably picked up, because it says that he then devoted himself to preaching. So he was probably running around doing admin and having to do counseling to people, etc. And he could now leave that to um, Silas and Timothy, and he could then carry on with the preaching. So Timothy, we know, I mean, Paul was his mentor. He, uh, Timothy really grew up under his wing and learned a lot from Paul. So are we growing leaders as well? Are we making sure that we're growing people so that we get this disciple effect and we don't have one guy trying to do everything? You know, we, we specifically try and model that. As soon as a church gets to a certain size, Gordon's Bay was planted out of Somerset West. So was Crabeau. Because we don't want these big churches where people are not cared for. We want to be able to have smaller churches where people really feel like family and where you can invest in people, disciple people, and, and grow them. So if you're a leader here, if you're a comm leader or deacon, make sure that you're growing people underneath you, that you're growing people up. And if you're a saint sitting in a community, make sure that you're challenging your comm leader. Make sure that you're looking for opportunities to be grown. Say, hey, can I, you know, can I do this on a Sunday or can I... I want to try and evangelize. Will you go with me? Or, you know, so look for opportunities. Try and be the class captain in the class and, and be the two I see that your comm leader needs to really uh, support your comm leader but grow yourself 
so that you can also then move into a leadership position. We've got to keep on, as we bring more and more convicts in, we need more and more leaders. So one day all of you will be leading communities, God willing. We trust for that. Okay, then we can move on, thanks Mike, to the second passage, which is 2 Corinthians 11. Okay, so what anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. So yeah, he's saying he is a Hebrew. And in other contexts, he talks, himself, talks about himself being a Roman citizen. They're just about to flog him and he says, hang on, are you allowed to do this to a Roman citizen? And then they're like, uh, no. And then he says that he was actually born a Roman citizen. So Paul used his influence. That's number six. Use your influence. You know, God's put us in certain positions and we don't use it in a prideful or boastful way, but we've got an opportunity to influence people. And as God uses you in the workplace or on the sports field or coaching children or whatever you do, all those people that you've got there almost under your control, you've got an opportunity to positively influence them. And most of it, unfortunately, is in your behavior, not in what you say. So just remember that, especially young people, they're always watching us. So with that influence comes a lot of responsibility. Make sure that you are using it well. So if I look at my own life, um, earlier this year I was in a place thinking, I drive to Cape Town every day and just to work on spreadsheets, make other people rich, answer emails, and you know, if I could take those hours in a day and use it for ministry, wouldn't I accomplish so much more? So I was in that place thinking, oh God, what about full-time ministry? Or God, what about a, a, like a lesser job in, in Somerset West maybe, where I had more time on my hands, um, maybe less stress? And then what God did is he promoted me in the year. So he's given me a bigger influence. And I think what, it, what God is doing is he's, just, he's using us as Christians to go out and influence people. And again, it's not in a prideful or boastful way. We do it in humility. But God gives us more responsibility, more people that we can engage with. So that's exactly what I've got now. I've got other teams that I interact with now, and I've got an opportunity to influence. And, and Andrew's spoken about this before, where he says, the guys, you guys that are in the marketplace, it's valuable. You guys have got such a reach in the marketplace. The guys that are full-time often only engage with full-time guys, or with us, sorry. <laughs> they're only engaging with Christians, and they're not out there dealing with the Muslims and the Satanists and the atheists and all these people that we come across in the marketplace. So we have to use our influence in humility. So be humble in your positions, but use that influence that God's given you. Okay, uh, verse 23, are they servants of Christ? So Paul saw himself as a servant of Christ. So that's the humility coming through. So that's, that's number seven is be humble. We have to be humble all the time. People will see right through us if we try and posture ourselves and, and be boastful. So I think uh, if you really look in Josh Jen and 4.12, we see that from our leaders. So we've got um, directing elders that, that oversee the whole of Josh Jen. And um, they're humble guys. And the same with the apostles that lead 4.12. Humble guys. When we have a big conference of 4,000 people, there's no special parking for these guys. All the food caravans are out there, and they queue with everybody else. So there's no perks, let's say, or you know, 
And unfortunately, some churches, they put the pastor up there and they, you know, they get the Bible ready for him and all this sort of thing. And some of our guys have been in churches like that. We want leaders that are humble, guys that, that lead from a humble position. Okay, verse 24. Thanks, Mike. Okay, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. So this is um, quite a well-known piece of text there where, where, talk, where Paul is, is talking about just all the adversity he's been through. So he's, he went through a lot. Shipwrecked, prison, he got stoned. I mean, they left him for dead outside the village, and then he got up and he went straight back in and carried on preaching again. So, so that's the value we're looking at there. Is face, he faced adversity. So are we facing adversity as well? Or are we running from it? We've got to really be able to look at adversity and, and learn from it and take, um, you know, take it as a learning opportunity. So a picture that God recently showed me, which I shared at Somerset West, was the rocks at the beach. So the rocks that are a little bit away from the waves or they're hiding in caves, they're all sharp and jagged, but the rocks that are facing the waves, they end up being smoothed over time because the beating of the waves actually smooths them over time. So that's what we have as well. If we face that adversity and we stand and we face those waves, they will smooth our character over time and we will get shaped by these adversities. So now for us again, if we look at the, the relevance to us, we might not be shipwrecked and in prison and stoned and things like that, but we face other adversities. So we face other hardships. And it might just be a courageous conversation, you know, where, you, where somebody has wronged you or you've wronged someone. You know, sometimes... We have wonderful family here, but the, the blood family is an anastory. So sometimes we have some issues with, with the, the blood family or the real family. So are we as the Christians courageous enough to go and face those waves, face that adversity, and, and actually go and get shaped by it? And sometimes we make a much bigger meal of it. We go and we, we come before the person and we apologize and they're like, whatever, it wasn't even bugging me, you know. So, I mean, they say resentment is like drinking poison and hoping the other person will die. That often, the way it works, is it becomes such an issue in our lives. And when we actually broach it with the other person, it's not such a big issue. So let's face the adversity that, that we've got. Who's ever risked making a sale by being a Christian? Okay, could that be? So you, you're very upfront and you say to the person, well, I just felt um, a word from God. Can I share that with you? and you're about to make a sale to the person, they could run away, and you lose the opportunity to make a sale. So we had something similar in Edgemead. Uh, we were trying to sell our Edgemead house to move to Somerset West, and this family came, and Joy said, I've got a word for the father. That's because I Facebook stalk the people before they come. So we, we were trying to sell privately, not through an agent. So we just go onto Facebook and just see who they are, so we've got some idea who's um, the, the person that's coming to see us. And Joyce saw what he was posting, the father, and she said, yes, I've, got a, I've got a real word for him. And we, again, that could have, they could have run away. They didn't buy the house in the end, but they could have run away, so we were <laughs> risking this. They didn't buy the house, but they joined Edgemead Joshgen. they involved in kids' church, they're hosting a community, and uh, that's just through what God did in their lives. And, and what Joy did, what the word she gave, just added to what other people were doing. So they had other people speaking into their lives, and they just had to admit, wow, God's really got our number. He's chasing us down. 
because they would, everything was just lining up. So it was it's a much longer test me. If you want the long version, you can speak to my wife. But uh, really amazing story of, of how they came in and how God is using them in that, that Edgemead congregation. So that's just some examples of adversity. So it could be tough times. It could be, you know, illness. It could be financial. It could be adversities like that. But sometimes it could just be stepping out in faith and, and actually risking it a bit. Like I've interviewed people before and they're very upfront about their faith in the interview. And they say, I'm a Christian and I'm only going to take this job if, if, if God says yes and if God's in it. And I'm cool with that, but I mean, there could be other people interviewing that thing. Jeez, I don't think I want this oak in the team. He's a bit nutty. You know? So are we, are we front-footed with our faith and prepared to, um, to risk things for our faith? Okay, verse 27. I've labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. So this is, he showed persistence. So are we being persistent as well? Or we try something, you know, we go and do beach evangelism and we're all excited and everybody says no. So we just think, oh, well, that's it. I tried. Or are we persistent? Are we going to go back the next weekend again, try again and push in? Or we have a, we didn't enjoy community or this guy spoke too long on Sunday, so I'm not going back. Or are we, are we persistent with our faith? Are we really pushing in and, and, and being persistent? Because they say on average a person comes to Christ, on average, not everybody, after they've had the gospel shared with them six times. So you might share the gospel with someone and you think, yes, it just went, just bounced off. But that might just be one of the six. You might have the privilege of being the sixth person that shares with them and they come to Christ, but maybe you're just the first or second and somebody else will, will get the benefit. We know that scripture, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 6, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So remember, as Christians, we function as one big team. So Ian might share the word, Albert might water that, and then I might have the privilege of eventually leading the person to Christ. So we've got to not be hung up on the fact that, oh, I've tried with this person and it hasn't worked. Let's be persistent. We might just get that breakthrough. And again, sometimes we, you know, it's a very common phrase, we're the only Bible that some people will read. So... When God says to you, speak to that person on the beach, do it. Because that might be the one opportunity that they get to hear the word. Or the only opportunity. Okay, and then the last one, verse 28. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. And that's, that value is discipleship. So again, Paul didn't just go around and plant and then just forget about them. He, was, he showed genuine concern for those churches, for all the people that were in those churches, and that comes down to discipleship. So again, as churches, we keep it small because we want to make sure that we are discipling the people. We don't want a big venue where people can hide in the corners. We want all of you coming to community. We want all of you coming to the gatherings because that's where the life, you know, we want you to be plugged into the life and not just coming on a, going Sunday to Sunday or Sunday to Wednesday but there is life, and that's why we call ourselves the Acts 2.42 church, you know, where they were in each other's homes, breaking bread together, listening to the word together, praying together, and that's what we want um, as a church. So you'll see um, a lot of our guys go into the different countries, and you think, jeepers, they're spending a lot of money on travel, because Mike and Brett always seem to be 
in Brazil and Ryan's often in the Netherlands and Andrew's everywhere. But it's the same um, view as what Paul had there, is to going back to those people. They've gone to those churches and they've sown into the leadership team and into the people and they've sown values into them and taught them how to lead well. And then they go back and they go back to massage it in and disciple it. You can't just visit them once and, and hope they're going to do well. You know, I've visited, when, when I travel for work, then I visit different churches. And what a big difference if you visit a 412 church versus just visiting some independent church. And it's some American guy that started a church in that country and he's, he's, you know, he's, he's doing well, but it just doesn't have the same as what a church has that's under this apostolic covering. And if you listen to that teaching on, on the apostolic, you would have got a lot of that. Is the difference is in the apostolic, you've got that guy speaking into your life, checking out your blind spots, you're accountable, and it makes a big difference to those churches. So that's why the guys travel to go and speak into the leaders. It's not just the saints that need discipling, but the leaders also need discipling. So everybody gets discipled, everybody is held accountable. And the difference... So Mike Davies, um, you probably know quite well, he's one of the good teachers in, in Josh Chen. Um, in one of the T3 teachings, he, he speaks about the difference between if we had a, a Pentecost event every day versus discipleship. So what happened at Pentecost when Peter spoke up to preach and he had all the apostles with him, there were 3,000 people saved in one day. Incredible. So people said, wow, imagine if we had a Pentecost every day. But if you do the maths, if you take 3,000 people Every day for the 2,000 years since then to now, let me just double check my number, 2 billion. You get 2, peop, 2 billion people saved over 2,000 years, which is pretty good. But if you change that and you say, right, I'm going to pick six of you now, and I'm going to disciple six of you for six months. At the end of the six months, you six, each pick six people, and you go and disciple them for six months. Then, within seven years, you reach five billion people. In seven years versus the 2,000 years. And that's why we say God's in the multiplication business, not in the addition business. So that's the difference we can make as Christians. We mustn't leave it up to Andrew and say, what? great, the, the conference with 4,000, we're trusting for 5,000 people next year that here can hear Andrew preach. It's us that makes the difference. If we each disciple and they disciple and they disciple, we reach way more many people by doing that. Okay, so just to pull that together now is if we look at all these values that Paul had, all those values are applicable to us. We're not going to travel the Mediterranean like him. Um, we're not going to get shipwrecked. We're not going to go plant a church in Corinth like he did. But we've got our own mission field and each of us must take these values into our mission field. You know, so are we being persistent? Are we being humble? Are we using the influence that, that God's given us? All these things that we've touched on today, are we using that on a daily basis? Or are we just opting out and saying, actually, you know, these guys that are called to ministry, I'm just called to be a pew warmer. No. Matthew 28, 19 says we must all go out and make disciples. So that's my challenge to you this morning if you only remember one thing, is the challenge to go out and make a difference for God. Go and speak to those people. God sometimes just highlights people to you. He'll say, hey, that, speak to that cashier. Ask the cashier how she's doing or, or the person on the beach or your colleague. 
And I know the closer the person is to you, the more difficult. So witnessing to your mother or your uncle or your colleague that you sit next to every day, it can be daunting. But use those opportunities. And that's, um, what, what does that person think if you don't share with them? If you thought about that. So you sit next to your colleague every day. Your colleague knows you're Josh Jenner and you sold out for God, but you've never shared God with your colleague. So he or she's thinking one of two things. Either this person doesn't actually love me, so they're not sharing this gospel with me, or they don't really believe it for themselves. That could be what's going through their mind. So use every opportunity to, to speak to the people, even those ones that are close to you. Let's close in prayer. I just want to first take an opportunity, if there's anybody here, you know, we all have that first opportunity to come to Christ. And we've been talking a lot about uh, meeting Jesus, um, you know, going and telling other people about Jesus. And we all have that first opportunity when we came to know Jesus. So if that's you this morning, if, if you want to take that first step and say, well, I want to accept Jesus into my life for the first time, just while everybody's heads are bowed, while your eyes are closed, you can just wave to me if that's you. It's nothing to be uh, ashamed of because we've all had that first opportunity where we said, right, Jesus, I'm putting up my hand. I want to give my life to you. Is there anybody here this morning? Okay, then for the rest of us, if you've, if you've been touched this morning, if, you've, if God has ministered to you, if the Holy Spirit's pulled on your heart and said you need to go and do more, you, um, you have influence, you have opportunities, um, and you, you're not using those opportunities to glorify me and to spread my word, why don't you just stand with me? And um, let's pray together that, that we can really be used more by God in his mission field. Our Father God, thank you that you use us, Lord. We know, Lord, that you could do all this on your own, Father. You're the all-powerful God, but yet to, you choose to involve us. You choose to use us, Lord. You use us as your hands here on earth, Father. And what a privilege for us to be able to bring the word. But we often um, we have fear of man, or we're just too busy, or we find reasons, Father. So as we stand together this morning, Father, just we pray, for, Lord, for that boldness. We pray that we will prioritize um, spreading your word, Father. We pray that we will respond when you speak to us in the moment, Lord. Help us to see the importance of this, that somebody else's salvation is more important than us getting there five minutes early wherever we're going, Father. So help us, Lord, to see the priority, to see the urgency, Lord, um, and to respond when you call on us, Lord.